This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, January 6th. The weather forecast for today looks like another day of cloudy skies. There is a chance of some rain showers or flurries, the high plus four degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Canada wins its 20th gold medal at the World Juniors. Number two, SickKids Hospital says it has almost recovered from that hack. Number three, the OPP is set to probe the provincial government's reopening of the Greenbelt. Number four, Merritt Stiles will be confirmed as the Ontario NDP leader by February. And number five, Canadians are told to shelter in place in Mexico. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. In the event that you bowed out before the finish, know that uh, Canada has prevailed. At the World Juniors, we won gold. So, um, all is good. Joshua Walsh walks in, goes to the All right, so there's all the excitement from last night's game. It ended in overtime, which was uh, something that uh, I guess a lot of people had hoped against, but it doesn't matter. We prevailed. And you just know that if we were waking up this morning having lost at the World Juniors, then we would be suffering some sort of a national identity crisis, and there would be a lot of hand-wringing, but no need. Uh, we won. Matt Cause is going to be here. He's been doing yeoman's duty from TSN in providing us with expert analysis of Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, TSN's Matt Cause is going to be here at 7.05, so obviously looking forward to that conversation because he always brings a great deal of enthusiasm. I guess, you know, there would be, I, I don't know if there would be a way I could have a job that is like that, but in another field. But imagine, you know, sports for most people is just a, a diversion. It's it's one of the great pleasures in life. Hey, we got a hockey game tonight or a lacrosse game tomorrow, or there's a golf match happening Thursday to Sunday, whatever. Now imagine somebody paying you money to watch that stuff and then to tell people about it. So I think that's probably why Matt Cause is such an enthusiastic, aff affable fellow. Uh, don't think there's anything more to tell you about the... Um, uh, World Juniors, because that is sort of the full limit of my expertise, and so that's why we bring Matt Cause in to talk about it. As you would have heard from Jazz Kieran in the 5 a.m. news, Toronto Hospital for Sick Kids says it's about 80% along the way of recovering its systems after being the victims of a ransomware attack. And the full story in all of this is fascinating. I mean, these ransomware attacks, that it has become a business model is, is disturbing. Not that there's any honor in the sort of the old ways of shaking people down for money, but in the old days, you had to rob a bank or hold up a truck or break into a house. Nowadays, from across the world, you invade a municipality, a hospital, a small business, and you steal all their data and lock it up. And then you say, give us this amount of money and we'll open it up for you again. And since most organizations, institutions, businesses are, you know, have no choice, they just pay it off. And so it's as natural a business model, as disturbing as this might sound, it's as natural a business model as the practice in Central and South America of kidnapping business people. 
And that also has become a matter of routine to the point where you can actually take out insurance. You're sending your vice president finance down to Bogota for a week to work. You take out an insurance policy in the event that they get kidnapped and that gets paid off and then they come home and it's, you know, that's just the way it works. But for that to be a business model is a pretty nefarious situation. And for this to be a business model where, as a matter of fact, when some, you know, some municipalities, I think there are two in Ontario quite recently that were taken hostage by ransomware attacks. And when I was going through the files, the charge for freeing those files up was about like $25,000. So in the great scheme of things in a municipality with a multi-million dollar budget, not that big a deal. Fine. We'll just pay it out as a business model, you know, sitting there as a keyboard jockey in some far flung country, $25,000 for a couple of days work is, uh, you know, works for them. Uh, interesting thing though, is that the hospital for sick kids insists they did not pay ransom. And they also did not resort to the offer that was made by the people at the top of the food chain in this shakedown operation. They had said, we'll give you a decryption key because we're ashamed of this. And according to the hospital, now they, they may be lying so that they don't have to wear this in public, um, but they insist they did not resort to the decryptor that was provided. So this is actually becoming a bit of a tedious affair. The city of Toronto, day by day, drip by drip, rolling out the budget, which will be revealed in full next week. However, we've had a chance to talk about some different budget files. So already this week, we talked about transit and more money for the TTC. Most of that due to the fact that the city of Toronto is going to have to take on operating the Eglinton Crosstown. So that's not exactly like new money. Hey, look at this. This subway station is going to be that much more special. Uh, it's about taking on new people. And actually, I can't even vouch necessarily that it's about new employees because I don't know if you've noticed, but if you ride the Young University line, um, not long ago, they took the person out of the back of the train. There used to be two people operating your average subway. So I would always say hi because I walk out the back of St. Clair Station. And so I get out of the last car and there's always somebody leaning out the window ready to, they used to blow whistles, but ready to close the doors. And we'd say, hey, how you doing? And that person's been gone for three or four weeks, maybe longer. So if Every single subway train on the Young University line is now, you know, employees halved. Then I wonder if those are the people maybe undergoing training right now to run the new light rail system on Eglinton. Anyway, I, I shall endeavor to confirm that aspect. Or as a matter of fact, the hilarious thing about our show is that the people involved often listen. So, you know, within minutes of me wondering something on the air... I get a text from somebody at Metrolinx or the TTC or elsewhere, and they say, okay, here's the deal. Anyway, I, I was mentioning that drips and drabs, the city of Toronto's budget is coming out, and the latest would be a 2.4% increase in the Toronto Public Library budget, and more significantly, a whack of money for housing. And I'm fully in favor of both of those measures, but I have to say I was watching CTV Local News last night, as I do every night, and I just thought, where's this money coming from? 
because the alarm bell was sounded some time ago about the fact that the city of Toronto was in a budget shortfall and that we were going to need money from Ontario and or Ottawa. And there has been no offer so far from Ontario or Ottawa. So as we roll out a much fatter budget for the coming fiscal year, um, and I appreciate, as John Tory explained in our airwaves, that an awful lot of the budget shortfall, if not all of it, was due to COVID and special expenditures. But as we go for a much larger budget moving forward, where's the money going to come from? You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, that music, of course, means it's time to join News Talk 1010's John Moore from More in the Morning to talk more about what Toronto's talking about. Good morning, John, and happy Friday. Good morning, Nick, and yeah, an especially happy Friday for those who may have missed the end of the game last night. Canada Juniors, they went into overtime and they ultimately triumphed and took the gold uh, medal. So that's the 20th time that Canada's juniors have triumphed at the World Juniors. In that it's, dramatic uh, fashion too, it's, right? You know, yeah, yeah, and and you have to remember, of course, had we lost this, it would have triggered some sort of a national hand-wringing crisis. So everybody wakes up much happier this morning. <laughs> That's so true. You know, I'll be honest, John, uh, I was just wrecked the last couple of nights in terms of lack of sleep. Uh, and when uh, when the Czechia team came back and tied the game, I said, you know what? I've invested a lot of time in this team, but I cannot get into overtime tonight. So I just turned the light out, went to sleep, and, and I woke up very happy. I there's no hand-wringing from me this morning because, yes, Team Canada won. Look at these fans at Real Sports. <laughs> They were loving their lives last night. Everyone feeling like they had the jerseys on themselves, but there you go. Good stuff, good times indeed. Okay, let's move on. Uh, you know, this was kind of a, I don't know why they didn't announce this sooner, the Ontario NDP, but uh, I suppose the sort of rubber stamping officially making Marit Styles the leader. They're moving up the timetable. It only makes sense. Yeah, Merritt Stiles was supposed to go to a leadership convention in the month of March, but then nobody declared to run against her, so she is going to be acclaimed as the leader. And you're right, the party has announced that they are going to formalize the declaration of her as the leader, which makes her the leader of the opposition at Queen's Park mm -hmm. as well, in time for resumption of sitting at the House on February 21st. So it's a, a new era. It'll be interesting to see if she fares better than Andrea Horvath, who moved off to become the mayor of Hamilton. That's right, yeah. So we'll check and see how uh, Marit Stiles fares. In the meantime, speaking of provincial politics, this is an interesting development because I, mean, I understand uh, that, uh, oh, pardon me, we're going to move to Sick Kids first before we get to there. Uh, Sick Kids Hospital, no more uh, code gray. That is definitely an encouraging sign considering the issues they've been dealing with the last you know, month or so. Sick Kids Hospital was uh, hacked by ransomware people who then, as you and I were discussing earlier in the week, came back and said, we regret this. We think this is a bridge too far, so we're ready to hand you a decrypto key and uh, allow you to get your files back. Sick Kids insists they did not take that offer up, that they have recovered files on their own. You're right, they're out of the gray zone now, and they say they've recovered about 80% of their priority systems without having paid that ransom. And again, 
without having taken advantage of the offer of that decryption key. Mm -hmm. And that is interesting for sure. Okay, John, this is what I was talking about. Provincially, uh, we understand the OPP mm -hmm. anti-rackets uh, division is now considering uh, the, looking to the Greenbelt situation with the Ford government. A lot of people suggested developers have sort of paid some money to get some preferential, you know, land and sort of have their opportunity to sort of build on it with the expansion into the Greenbelt. Uh, this is a really interesting turn now. I don't know that anybody's ever going to find a smoking gun, but you're absolutely right. Investigators in the Ontario Provincial Police's anti-rackets squad are going to take a look at this. In particular, there were a few suspicious moves, including one developer buying about $80 million worth of land just weeks before that land, which was zoned for no development, became zoned for development. But... You know, my fearless prediction here, Nick, is I don't think anybody necessarily gave anybody a hard tip. There may have been some nods and winks, but I don't know that the provincial police are going to be able to identify any of them. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Ultimately, John, those are pretty tough to prove, that's for sure. In the meantime, this is tough to believe. You go on vacation, you come back, and your house has been sold by a couple of people who've pretended to own it. A lot of questions need to be answered in this case, including what kind of paperwork and what kind of lawyering was involved. Mm -hmm. But you're right. This is a couple in Etobicoke. They left the country in January 2022. During the time that they were away, two people posing as them put their house on the market, sold it to two unwitting people, and then moved on. So there's an investigation underway to see, A, how this happened, and B, if there can be any kind of, not necessarily retribution, but I mean, what happens to the couple who paid for the right. house, who bought the house, and what happens to the couple whose house was unwittingly sold? Yeah, this, this has the sort of makings of a Netflix documentary, because I got a feeling these people have done this before. This is not something you try <laughs> once. Uh, they've probably done this before, so more to dig into there. In the meantime, John, have a great show on Friday. You can catch John Moore's news on, program on News Talk 1010 more in the morning until 9 o'clock every morning Monday to Friday. Here's Nick Dixon over at our sister television station, CP24. It's my, my lone appearance on television. It takes place at 5.15 in the morning. But hilariously, I st I'll, I'll occasionally be intercepted by people on the street saying, I watch you on TV. I think you must be an insomniac. Uh, it's 5.24, and... Quite often, we'll start the show with some stories, like the one we were just talking about on the end of that segment, where I want to know more about this. So we're going to do our best, possibly talking to Tim Hudak from the Ontario Real Estate Association, frequent contributor here on News Talk 1010, about how something like that could happen. How can somebody sell your house out from underneath you? There are a lot of scams in the business. You know, there are people, for example, who will list an Airbnb that doesn't actually belong to them. They'll pocket the money and move on. But I don't know, especially because, you know, you're probably in the same pocket. Most of us buy and sell a home maybe three or four times in our lifetime. So I've certainly done that. And the amount of lawyering and land assaying and all kinds of other technical stuff that has to happen and proof of identity I don't know how two people can swoop in and sell a property that does not actually belong to them. Although I guess there are some dodgy things that happen in the real estate world. I know a friend of mine who's a real estate lawyer was um, across the table from a husband and wife, or so they represented themselves, and they were buying a house. And he said, okay, so I'm just filling out the paperwork here. I need to know what your marital status is. And the man said, what works better? 
So they were effectively ready to pose as whatever they needed to pose as if there was some sort of a financial benefit to doing so. Um, but, the, you know, my friend didn't go for that because if they'd said, declare us as married, he would have said, you got to show me the paperwork. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Friday morning, January 6th. We'll get to the significance of this being January 6th shortly, but there are other things to consider before we get to this day in history. Amongst them, it's always nice to wake up in the morning and remind yourself that something amazing happened last night. (laughs) And uh, I'm actually talking about Canada triumphing at the World Juniors. It was fun talking to Nick Dixon at 5.15 this morning on CP24, and he admitted that he didn't see the end of the game because he wanted to get to bed to get up this morning in time to prepare for the show. Ditto for me. I didn't witness it. So like a lot of news events, like the outcome of presidential elections and stuff like that, I'll wake up and go downstairs to my office and fire up the computer and, you know, make my first destination what happened in that important thing that was going on yesterday. And finding out that Canada had won was amazing, um, especially because I actually started on Twitter. I don't know why, but I did. And it was kind of ambiguous. Like I expected to very quickly find out, oh, Canada won at the World Juniors. And it was mostly stale tweets from when we went into overtime, for example. Oh, I guess it didn't end well. I guess we lost. I guess we're going to have a national identity crisis on Friday. No, we won. And I like Kim Coates is an actor who you may know from uh, quite a few shows, including Sons of Anarchy. And then there's, I hope it's going to continue. There's a show in which uh, it's based on real-life events in Montreal's mob scene. And I know that they did two seasons, and I'm not sure if they ever did three. And Kim, if you're listening, then uh, you can let me know. Because I always enjoy a conversation with Kim Coates. He's a very exacting individual who I think has um, a perfect memory because he remembers every conversation we've ever had. Um, But anyway, he tweeted, I may have shed a tear or two or three. Well done, boys. Kim Coates. Then there's an X. I don't know if the X is for a hug, but uh, nonetheless, a hug for Canada's juniors. And Matt Cause is going to be here at 7.05 to talk about this. I asked Matt Cause this week of the players we're seeing, and let's face it, it's from multiple teams, not just going to be from Team Canada, of the players we're seeing at the World Juniors, how many of them are, are we going to see in the NHL? And he was pointing out that some of them have already been drafted. Others, including uh, Connor Bedard, are going, he's expected to be the number one draft. And then I guess in a very bittersweet framing of things, Matt Cause pointed out that he may be drafted by the Montreal Canadiens should they finish last. But that's a pretty humiliating position to be in. Um, Mike Catherwood, I don't know if you can inform this situation, but toward the end of the season, if you are a complete loser team, do you deliberately lose games in order to be last so you get the number one draft? Oh, there's some teams that their entire goal the entire season long is to lose as much as possible in order to get the top draft. Edmonton did it. Toronto did it with Austin Matthews. Okay, um, well, that worked out for us. Exactly, yeah. It's good to lose sometimes. It's yeah, great. I'm a, as a Habs fan, I hope we... I, I hope we don't play a goalie, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I was actually told by somebody recently, stop talking about the Habs. Torontonians hate you talking about the Montreal Canadiens. But I hope people understand. I mean, 
If you grow up in a city, you're probably going to be a fan of that franchise. And there, aside from the grand rivalry of the Montreal Canadiens versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's not a lot of shame in being a fan of the Montreal Canadiens. It's the winningest sports franchise in history of any sport. So, you know, it's... Mentioning that really winds up Toronto fans. <laughs> does it? Okay. Well, I know... Gurdip Alawalia, it, it was only because we played golf every single Thursday all through the summer. And after the Toronto Maple Leafs got bounced from the playoffs, that was my first appreciation of how profound uh, a love and fanship that people can have for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because it was like three weeks after, and he was still completely bummed and didn't want to hear anything about anything else vis-a-vis -vis hockey. So um, Canada won. Last night, uh, in overtime, I might add, winning 3-2 against Czechia, which I'm still getting used to. You know, so, did they put out a press release when they decided to stop being the Czech Republic and become Czechia? I don't know. You look like you want to weigh in on this, uh, Joe Cristiano. Clearly not, because I didn't know this until I started seeing their name two days ago either. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. Yeah. No, you're not alone. Because, I mean, we cover the news on a 24-hour cycle basis all the time. And I I was mystified this week when I came across Czechia. I was mentioning on the air yesterday, for example, when did Kiev become Kiev? And I know, I appreciate everything as concerns Ukraine was transformed from whatever Russian name that they would have had to the Ukrainian name that they would have. And so that's why, you know, we call it Kiev now instead of Kiev. But, you know, you can be forgiven for not keeping up. Uh, the National Post's Adam Zivo, speaking of Ukraine, is going to join us at 635 this morning. He's working on a series. At the moment, it's mostly on social media, but I have to think that it's going to be a column in the National Post as well, but about Jews in Ukraine. And then he also writes a lot about LGBTQ plus uh, people in Ukraine. And effectively, what he's going after is this renewed notion, which was expressed in abundance on New Year's Eve in the appalling New Year's Eve broadcast on the official channels in Russia, where, you know, once again, they said they were denazifying Ukraine. And so he says, OK, you want to denazify Ukraine? Let's talk to the Jewish people and find out how they feel about Ukraine. And as a sidebar to all of that, I'll just I'll never understand why in a certain pocket, and it seems to be sort of the Trumpian hard right in Canada and the US, there are people who are still heavily invested in the idea that Ukraine is run by Nazis, that Volodymyr Zelensky is some sort of a, a mafia boss, and that Russia is on the right side of history. Like, I get that sometimes you may even have to reluctantly embrace some hard right talking point. Oh, well, you know, the vaccine doesn't work. Uh, climate change is a myth. Uh, Trickle-down economics works. Um, I, I get why you may feel that you have to sing from that hymnal. But when you get to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I don't know why some people are still so heavily invested in that. So um, more and more of the Toronto City budget is coming to bear. We'll get the full document next week. But... Part of the stuff that we discovered yesterday was 
Um, at the very least, money for maintaining the status quo in outdoor pools, wading pools, rinks, and more. Uh, perhaps a little bit more money in order to address something that was a going theme all through the summer. We talked about it on our show numerous times. Bathrooms that were either locked or not maintained properly. And I think, you know, in a city as wealthy and, you know, top drawer as Toronto, it is a disgrace that our public parks have fallen into disrepair. I also believe the risk of uh, embracing something that is, people are going to say, what? No, you have to be more progressive about this. Sorry, I want the encampments to end. I don't want, you know, you know, horses parading into a park and people being beaten with batons in order to get them out of the parks. But this has got to end. It is not a tenable situation. However, all of this brings me to, as you know, John Tory was unveiling plans for about $2 billion in gross spending to fight the city's housing crisis. I thought, good on you. We need to do something about the housing crisis. But my abiding thought was also, where's the money going to come from? You know, we have, we're not raising the mill rate. So where, if, if, and if we don't get it, I guess we're counting on the fact that Ottawa and Queens Park have always stepped up and given us the money when we go begging for it. But if they don't, what's going to happen next? Which brings me to Josh Matlow, and we'll listen to what he had to say in just a moment. Because I can appreciate there's a very delicate balance in what's going on at Toronto City Hall right now. John Tory's in his last mandate. Josh Matlow has made it very clear that he wants to run for mayor four years from now. And then there is sort of the wedge of how the media love a fight. So, of course, Josh Matlow is going to get an awful lot of the focus. Does he deserve it? I guess, you know, that's going to be up to voters four years from now, but it's up to you listening right now as well. So, you know, if you want to weigh in on it, you can uh, send me a text at 71010. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Several things in the five things you need to know where you probably went, what? Need to know more. And that's okay. That's what we're here for. The sheltering in place in Mexico is uh, a curious story, and we hope to be able to advance it through our show this morning. It's not like that there is some sort of immediate threat, like somebody is engaged in a hostage taking, but the federal government believes that things in Mexico have, uh, owing to multiple developments, including the capture of drug trafficker Ovidio the Mouse Guzman. He's the son of El Chapo. Um, this and other gang activity have made things in portions of Mexico so uncertain that Canadians should essentially not leave whatever resort they're in, and I guess be very grateful and relieved once they get home. And the real reason I want to advance the story this morning and get a, a pulse on exactly what the level of threat is, is you may know people in Mexico, or this only being the 6th of January, you may be plotting a trip to Mexico and wondering if that's such a good idea. I've never been the biggest fan of Mexico, I have to say. I love the climate, but um, we've, we must have gone six or seven times uh, to the same Mexican town and we would only go because our other friends were going there But I've just I've never had that much affection and frankly as the years went by and 
more and more severed heads turned up in duffel bags, I began to think, okay, it's just, it's not worth it. I'll do South Beach. Thank you very much. We'll be good. Um, but it's a, a concerning situation. Um, there was a shootout at one of the airports. So several airports were shut down. Cartel uh, had stationed some of their people outside some of the hotel complexes as well. So we're getting reports from some Canadians in Mexico that they simply don't feel safe. I was mentioning that today is an anniversary. Happens quite frequently, actually. I'll get up, I'll fire up the computer, and I'll look at the date, and I'll think, oh, that seems like something significant. And today I couldn't. I thought, is it a friend's birthday? Is it? No. The 6th of January, the anniversary of the insurrection. Go! Go! That's some of the raw sound of people as they entered into the National Capitol building in the United States on this day two years ago. And my memory of the whole thing always was that I was taking my usual afternoon nap. And I got up and I look at my cell phone and there's a text from my cousin, Chris Ann, who lives in the United States and listens to the show every day, incidentally. So good morning, Chris Ann. And she said, there goes our democracy. And I thought, what the hell happened? So got on the computer and found out that Donald Trump had fired up a rally of people and that they had stormed the House of Assembly in the United States. And I often marvel at that day, as a matter of fact, because it, I think for obvious reasons, a whole bunch of people have downplayed what happened as it was no big deal. Oh, the police officers opened the doors. They were just tourists. No, they were a bunch of rioters who broke in, did actual damage to the Capitol building, threatened the lives of sitting members of Congress and the vice president. And their objective was to interfere with the transfer of power and keep a man who'd been defeated in an election in power as the president of the United States. That is banana republic in the extreme. And like I said, I think a lot of people have tried to downplay that in order to set the table for Donald Trump again running for president. And, and they've sort of pretended that it was no big deal. But actually, it's one of the, one of the great all-time events in American history and a very disturbing chapter. And the culmination of like 25, 30 years of people sort of moving the what is it called? The Overton circle, the Overton, whatever, um, you know, what is considered to be normal thinking and normal behavior. And it finally got to the point where it was such a threat to American conservatives that a democratic president could be elected to office, that they had to do anything they possibly could to make sure that it didn't happen. And so that ennobled the breaking in and busting of windows and the desecration of the American Capitol building, that just made that a natural act. I think we're up to about 900 people, incidentally, who've been charged and about 600 people who have been officially convicted, including one of the great talking points in the wake of it was, well, you know, nobody was convicted of sedition. Yes, as a matter of fact, several people have been convicted of sedition. And in all likelihood, Donald Trump in the long run is going to be held responsible for aspects of that as well. So that was this day 
two years ago. And meanwhile, I won't dwell on this because it's a great drama. Laura Babcock and I, it, it's like we're watching, you know, the Vampire Diaries. Uh, she and I go back and forth and talking about what's going on right now with the effort to elect a Speaker of Congress. But I appreciate for most Canadians, who cares? There's good news to share uh, about Damar Hamlin. That is the football player who collapsed in cardiac arrest during a football game. And doctors say that he is conscious. He is still intubated, so he can't speak, but he's been writing. So the most important aspect in the latest report from doctors is they say there is no cognitive damage because the real concern would have been, okay, we can get his heart going again, but was his brain deprived of oxygen to the point where he suffered brain damage? And they say, quote, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal. He's making steady progress. He has no cardiac dysfunction, is beginning to move his hands and feet, and is communicating by writing. So that is beyond heartening. I don't imagine he'll ever return to football, but if he regains his life, then at the age of 24, that'll be something. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.